0: This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, overcoming our culture's war on the American family. Written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician, Dr. Ben Carson. Available now, everywhere you get audiobooks. Invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, will be our text today. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse number 1, the word of God says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you, And peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Amen. A week ago on Palm Sunday, we walked through Matthew 21 verses 1 through 17. Where Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem as people spread their clothes on the road, along with branches that they had broken off trees. They went ahead of Jesus and shouted Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The way that Jesus entered the city was the fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. Jesus was communicating in no uncertain terms that he was the promised king that the prophets of old had spoken of as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He went first to the temple And drove out those who were buying and selling and he overturned the tables of the money changers. He quoted scripture as he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. But you are making it a den of thieves. This was just the beginning of the week. Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees, give the primary commands to love God and love our neighbor Share his last supper with his disciples, during which he would institute communion. He would spend the night in agonizing prayer and be betrayed by one of the 12. He was brought before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish religious council. And false witnesses were brought forward to unjustly accuse him. It was during this time that Peter denied even knowing him. Upon hearing him testify that he was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus was charged with blasphemy and condemned to death. On that dark day, the Son of God was executed at the hands of Roman soldiers. This gruesome form of capital punishment was typically reserved for slaves and enemies of the state. It was a slow, horrific death. Jesus was scourged, which left his flesh ripped and torn. He was taken to the Roman barracks where he was beaten, mocked and spit upon. A crown of thorns was fashioned and cruelly forced upon his head. He then had to bear the burden of his own crossbeam as he walked the Via Dolorosa or the way of death to Mount Calvary. Our Savior was then nailed to his cross where he would suffer unspeakable agony. A sign hung above his bleeding head which read, King of the Jews. From the ground he was mocked by those who challenged him to save himself and to come down from the cross. As he hung between two others, he had to endure insult even there. And all of this took place while the soldiers gambled for his clothes on the ground below. Sour wine was given to him to drink from a sponge, and shortly thereafter he uttered the words, It is finished. And then he died. His lifeless body was taken down from the cross and handed over to a man named Joseph Joseph was a rich man who happened to be a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pontius Pilate and asked for the Lord's body. And the Lord's body was wrapped in clean, fine linen and placed in a new tomb. As the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. But instead, they encountered an angel who gave them the best news ever. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. As the two Marys ran to tell the disciples the news, they ran into the risen Lord himself. And they worshiped him and he told them to let the disciples know that he would meet them In Galilee. After his resurrection, Jesus spent the next 40 days with the apostles speaking to them about the kingdom of God. He told them to stay in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from the Holy Spirit. He also proclaimed to them that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him and that they were to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these disciples to obey his commands. And Jesus promised to be with his disciples as they carried out this mission. The disciples took their marching orders from the resurrected king and they never looked back. And with great power, the apostles gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That was then. And yet we are gathered here this morning to give testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. Even as I make this proclamation to you this morning, I must admit that we need to press into the resurrection of Jesus for us to learn how to live in the light of it in the here and now. How does the resurrection of Jesus come to bear on how we live on a daily basis? Does the resurrection of Jesus come to bear on how we live on a daily basis? Are we living in the light of Christ's resurrection? Are we witnessing in the power of the resurrection? Are we walking in the victory of the resurrection? How we answer these questions is so important because our answers will reveal the faithfulness of our witness, our overall outlook on life and how we engage the world around us in the here and now. And that's why I chose this particular text. Our text in Romans chapter one, verses one through seven This was a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He wasn't always the Apostle Paul, though. He was formerly Saul of Tarsus. And as a Pharisee, he fiercely opposed the Christian faith. He agreed to the brutal stoning of a deacon by the name of Stephen, who had been accused of blasphemy. Saul of Tarsus zealously persecuted the church of God. And it was while he was on his way to carry out more persecution that Jesus himself stopped Saul of Tarsus in his tracks. The Lord graciously intervened in the life of Saul and called him into ministry. Saul was transformed that day, he was brought from death. To life and the main thrust of his ministry was to non-Jewish people or Gentiles. And so he's writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Christian community of Rome, which consisted of Jewish and Gentile believers. If we direct our attention to the text. One of the first things that Paul does is Paul speaks of himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Sometimes this word servant can be translated as bond servant, and it's even been translated as slave. What Paul is saying about himself is that he was a subject of Jesus under the complete Control of Jesus. This statement tells us just as much about Jesus than it does about Paul. Because only royalty has subjects. Paul was called to be an apostle which meant that he was a special messenger of Christ and he was set apart for the gospel of God. Man, if you circle or highlight or underline things in your Bible, you should circle, highlight, or underline gospel of God. I love this word gospel. It's from the Greek word euangelion. If you're wondering how to spell it, it's right there. All right, euangelion, (laughs) gospel. I was sitting down having lunch the other day And my waiter walked up to me. He was like, what's that on your arm? I was like, I love it when people ask me that. (laughs) Because I go, it's euangelion. It's Greek. And it stands for gospel or good news. It's always an open door to share Jesus, man. This word gospel, this word good news It's the best news to all of humanity. It's the best news that could ever be announced. And this is the good news of God. It's the gospel of God, meaning that God himself is the source of the good news. But God is not only the source of the good news. God is also the subject of the good news. This good news was promised beforehand in what we call the Old Testament. First 39 books of our Bibles. It is sometimes referred to as the law and the prophets, and it is within the Old Testament that God promised to send his Messiah. His anointed one, his chosen redeemer to rescue his people from the penalty and power of sin to judge his enemies and to renew all of creation in glory and righteousness. As we move on in the text, Paul says that this Messiah, you know, Christ ain't Jesus last name, right? (laughs) It's a title like growing up like Jesus Christ. No, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. Don't look at me like you've never thought that before. First name, Jesus, last name, Christ. No, Christ is a title. From the Greek word Christos, and it's from a Hebrew word Messiah, and it means anointed one. It means one specially marked out by God, one specially raised up by God. And he was a figure that was constantly prophesied in the Old Testament. As you heard Hillary reference this morning, even back in Genesis chapter three, where God is pronouncing judgment, the day that God is confronting humanity as they rebelled against God. God looks at this serpent and he says, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and between her seed and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. It's what theologians call the proto-evangelium, the first gospel. And throughout the Old Testament, we see types and we see shadows and we see illusions of this great Messiah Moses himself says that, yeah, I may be a prophet, but there's coming a prophet that's much greater than me. Listen to that prophet. Isaiah said that he would be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. And to his dominion and his kingdom and his reign, there would be no end. He was promised, and so there was this great anticipation that Paul is speaking of here. This Messiah, this descendant of King David, according to his humanity. However, the Messiah would also be powerfully revealed to be the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in his resurrection. And Paul was making it very clear that Jesus Christ is King and Lord of all. See, Paul, usually when he would write his letters, he would always have a salutation. He would always have a greetings. He would always open up. What makes this greeting so special is that it is jam-packed with great theological meaning as to the person and the work of Christ. He says that Jesus is the Messiah, He is a descendant of David according to the flesh, and as He is the resurrected king, he is the Son of God. He is God the Son. Sim, are you looking at me like, well, okay, it's just an opening. What's he really saying? May not seem controversial at first glance, but when we consider the time, place and audience, we will see that this opening statement is revolutionary. Here's what I mean. Remember, this letter is addressed to the Christians where Rome, Rome, was the seat of the most dominant power that the world had seen. It was the world's most powerful city, and it was the home to the world's most powerful man, also known as the Caesar. The one who ruled the Roman Empire. Still looking at me funny. Let's do some more work. Like Caesar, what's the big deal? Caesar was considered to be a deity. Caesar was considered to be a God in the flesh. He was to be worshiped and referenced as God. And one of the official titles of Caesar was Son of God. That was one of his official titles. And guess what? Caesar's birthday was also hailed as Evangelion or good news. His birthday was hailed as good news. As N.T. Wright said, Paul knows exactly what he is doing. Jesus is the true king. The world's rightful Lord. And it is vital that the Christians in Rome itself know this and live by this. These believers, this community of Christians in the city of Rome, they are surrounded by statues and symbols of Rome's power. They are surrounded by worship and rhetoric that serve to deify a man, the man named Caesar. And Caesar commanded absolute loyalty and allegiance. Paul is throwing all the shade at Caesar. Look at the text. Here's what Paul does. Paul says concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David, you know what Paul is doing there? Paul is saying there is a royal line that existed long before the Roman Empire ever even came into existence. He goes on to say that Jesus. Being proclaimed in his resurrection as the son of God, Paul is saying Caesar ain't the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. And even at the very beginning of his letter, what he's doing is he is deconstructing the Roman idolatrous culture around them. And he's saying, I know that Caesar may be in your plain view. I know that you may or may not be a a stone's throw from Caesar's palace. I know that you hear hail Caesar when you walk the streets of Rome on a daily basis. I know that you have to look at all of these symbols of power that exalt this man. But let me help you out. Caesar ain't God. Jesus is. And Caesar is not royalty. Jesus is. And Caesar does not rain, Jesus reigns. Paul uses <laughs> these claims. He, he speaks these claims as he testifies to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And saints, I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Jesus has prevailed. Jesus has conquered. Jesus was alive and was dead and now is alive forevermore. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the Apostle and High Priest of our profession. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain in order to purchase a people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected who has become the cornerstone. Jesus is worthy to receive power and riches and honor and wisdom and strength and glory and blessing. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and his government is over all and his dominion has no end. His name is Jesus. He is alive. The nations are his inheritance and he rules and he reigns. He doesn't rule and reign in fear He rules and he reigns in reality. And that should shape the way we live on a daily basis. I've had the honor and the privilege throughout the course of my life to be around some of the most powerful people on the planet. One, for instance, the president of the United States of America. And there is this respect that you have for the office and rightfully so respect, not worship. Amen. And all of the stuff that goes around I me. Mean, Homeboy's got his own plane. There's like a couple of them, you know, and, and it's pretty awesome. Like I'm, I, I got a picture of me and some fellow Marines. We're in front of Air Force One and we're just kind of hanging out. He's got this crew called the Secret Service and they are something else. Like we were hanging out with the Secret Service and talking with them. And when the president took off in his plane, all of a sudden, these other Secret Service agents that were not wearing nice suits, but were wearing like all black. These cats just appeared out of nowhere. Like, like, where did y'all come from? Where were y'all even hiding? They were watching us. That's what they were doing. And you see all of these things that go along with the different offices that we respect and honor. And I'm telling you, I think we give more honor and more reverence to the temporary offices of man than we give to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who literally reigns sovereign over the universe. You can tell in how we walk around we walk around scared we walk around timid we don't really want to share the faith we walk around like you know like like we just be bullied by the world pushed around and all of this stuff and we don't recognize that the one that has redeemed us the one that has called us out of darkness and into light the one who has rescued us and made us his own sovereignly reigns over everything every square inch of this planet and beyond is under the sovereign rule of Jesus every government is subject to Jesus. Every institution and every structure is under his sovereign rule and command and we are his people. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. We are the ones that should represent the power of his kingdom in the earth. Think about the last time. When was the last time there was a demonstration of the power of God by us or from us as citizens of the kingdom of God? We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten the power of the resurrection and what it means. Show you what I'm talking about. Look at how Paul describes his ministry. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just the way I'm wired. But this this opening of Romans one, it's one of my favorite things to read in all of scripture. When I read this passage, something stirs in me and I'm going to share that with you. Here's what I'm talking about. Paul says, talking about Jesus, look at verse five. This is amazing. Paul says through him, through this powerful son of God, we have received grace and apostleship to do what? To have good church. To have this cute little social club. To to have this to have this weak little, you know, just kind of gathering every now and then? To have a powerful political lobbying section? No. No, that's not what he received grace and apostleship for through him. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. This word for Gentiles comes from a word that can also be translated nations. Paul had the nations in mind. Let's let that sink in just for a moment. There was no email. There were no cars. There was no there. We're talking about the ancient world. And yet a rescued Pharisee by the grace of God has within his heart that he has received a call from God to go and take this gospel to every nation of the world. That's bold, man. That's bold. And that's what I'm overcome by. Every time I read this text, I'm like, this guy is sitting here and he's saying, and he's, it's like, it's like, it's normal. He's not bragging. He's not trying to make a point. He's not trying to make much of himself. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been called. I've, I've received grace and apostleship from Jesus. Why? Because we like pink and the brain, bro. We're going to take over the world. We're going to dominate it all. Oh, that's what we're here to do. But not take over the way the world sees the takeover he says that we are called, man. We've received this ministry and we're gonna bring about the obedience of faith. You know what Paul is doing there? Paul is basically reiterating the Great Commission. That's what he's doing. Even though this letter was written a long time ago to believers in ancient Rome, these words apply to us today. Wright says this, because Paul uses this term, we're bringing about the obedience of faith. It's very interesting. Wright says, we too are called to believe in obedience. The gospel isn't like an advertisement for a product that we might or might not want to buy depending on how we felt at the time. That's not what the gospel is. It's not a cute little invitation, saints, when we preach and proclaim the gospel. Let's go back to right. He says it is more like a command from an authority. We would be foolish to resist. Caesar's messengers didn't go around saying Caesar is Lord. So if you feel you need to have a Roman Empire kind of experience, you might want to submit to him. It's not the way they represented Caesar. Roman government, Roman officials would show up, say, "Listen, you may not know who he is. You may have never heard his name before, but there is one who sits on the throne in Rome and reigns over the Roman Empire. We are his representatives." And we're here to let you know what he is and who he is. But we're not only here to let you know what he is and who he is. We're also here to let you know that this Caesar has laid claim to your land and your lives. And it's time to submit to him. See, we don't understand that when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're proclaiming a greater message than that. We're saying this, listen, the gospel is not a suggestion. The gospel is a command. We don't preach the gospel of a weak God. We preach the gospel of a sovereign God. And if we're honest with people, if we're honest with people. We would sound a little bit more like this. There is a God and he is the one true living God. And there is none like him. He is loving and he is gracious. He is kind. He is patient. But he is also just. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And he created humanity. But humanity rebelled against him. And instead of relegating all of humanity to his just wrath and judgment for all of eternity. Here is what this God did. In eternity past he covenanted within himself that God the Father would send God the Son empowered by God the Holy Spirit and at the appointed time after hundreds of years of messengers going before to prophesy the coming of the Messiah and true King Jesus at the appointed time in obscurity in a little country town named Bethlehem Jesus was born and this Jesus grew up and when he was about 30 years old he went out into the wilderness where he was baptized in water by his cousin, John the Baptizer. And when he came out of the water, the Spirit of God descended on his body in the bodily form of a dove. And God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This same Jesus went into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate nor drank anything. And after that time and during that time, he was tempted by the by the devil three particular times and each time he was tempted he responded quoting the word of God saying it is written, it is written and it is written and this Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit preaching one message and one message only, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he was saying that the righteous rule and reign of God had invaded the earth, that everything changes right now, he was coming and he had laid claim to this earth, this earth belongs to him and he was saying sin has corrupted all of creation and sin has separated me from man and sin has perverted my created order but I am here to make everything right I am here to reclaim what is mine I am here to reclaim this planet I am here to heal a fractured cosmos and I am here to redeem a people unto myself And this same Jesus experienced opposition from the Jewish religious leaders of his day, and he had confrontation after confrontation with them. And even in the midst of that, what did he do? He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, and he taught in the synagogues. And he came across blind people, and he opened their eyes. He came across people who were demon possessed, and he cast demons out. He came across folks that were dead, and he brought them back to life. He came across people who couldn't walk and he made them walk again and he would meet with people even in private and he would preach the gospel like to Nicodemus. He would engage people whom Jewish society and others had relegated as the trash of society like the Samaritan woman who had been in relationship after relationship after relationship and was shacking up with somebody that wasn't even her husband. But Jesus said I need to go through Samaria and he engaged this woman and he preached the the gospel to her and he transformed her into a powerful evangelist and there was revival amongst the Samaritan people but this Jesus ultimately even after doing all of those things this same Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross and so at the appointed time before a sham of a court and before a bunch of lying witnesses he was condemned to death only by saying only because of saying who he really was that he is the Messiah the The charge against him was blasphemy and he was crucified but he just wasn't dying any particular death this same jesus was dying on the cross that day as a substitute for a sinful humanity he was dying to atone for the sins of his people matthew 121 you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins this same jesus became sin for us who were really the lawbreakers we are the criminals but this innocent man, this innocent God man died in our place and he died a very real physical death and he yelled out, it is finished, meaning he had done everything up until that point that the father had sent him to do. He had done everything up until that point that scripture said he would do and he died that day. But that is not the end of his story. This same Jesus rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit on resurrection morning and this same Jesus is now alive forevermore and he sent me around your way to tell you that you need to turn away from your sins you need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand you will bow to him either now or you will bow to him later you will worship him now or you'll have to worship later you will submit now or you will submit later and I know that you may have come across many other ideologies and lies and religions in this world I I know that you may have heard many competing messages, but I'm here to tell you today that there is only one way to be made right with God. There is only one way to be acceptable with the father. There is only one way to be justified in his sight, and that is to believe on the only begotten son of the father. Sir, ma'am, young person, college student, coworker, what say you? We've taken a very profound message and we've watered it down to these cute little diagrams and all of this stuff. And I'm not saying you can't use that stuff. I'm not saying it can't be a tool, but we need to proclaim Christ as king. We have far too many people thinking that he's just a savior. He is savior and Lord, and it ain't a buffet. It's a package deal. I like Jesus the Savior. He's nice. He just treats me so good, lets me live any way I want to live. It's just awesome. I love Savior Jesus. Savior Jesus is good to me. He's just so warm and cuddly and marshmallowy and soft. I don't like Lord Jesus, though. Mm -mm, Not Lord Jesus. Because I have to listen to him. Like he actually has expectations of me. He wants me to be in community with my brothers and sisters in the faith. He wants me to worship him and him alone. What's wrong with him? He wants me to actually make it my life's aim to tell other people about him. How conceited can you be? (laughs) See, we like Savior Jesus, but we wrestle with Lord Jesus. And I'm telling you, saints, he is Savior and he is Lord and he is king and he reigns over all. God told his people, Joshua in particular, he said, every place the soles of your feet tread upon, I have given you. You know why? Because it's his. When you walk in your job, you need to know that that building and the earth that it sits upon belongs to your God. When you go to school, whatever institution you may be a part of, you need to know that it belongs to your God. When you walk the streets of your neighborhood, it's not the homeowners association that runs the joint. It's the God of heaven and earth. Homeowners associations are evil and obnoxious. This is America. I should be able to grow my grass as high as I want to. I bought that house. You didn't. You want to tell me what to do with it? Come pay this mortgage. I'm sorry. That was a little little caveat there. I've got some deep wounded issues in my soul from Homeowners Association. I've been waiting to get that off my chest for like 15 years. But when we walk our neighborhoods, you ought to do that. You ought to practice when you walk the ground. Lord, this is yours. It's your territory. Everywhere I am. But what do we do? We get intimidated. We get intimidated. We, we let the forces of darkness And man-made structures and governments of this world push us around. And we're not here to dominate like the world dominates. We're here to love. We're here to serve. And we're here to lay our lives down. We're here to embrace marginalization. We are not here to be at the center. And we are not here to dominate and be in close proximities with power. And be all up underneath everybody that's important. And all up in the cool boys club. We are here to be outcasts, but that's okay though, because the forces of darkness, you know what? You just, you just hold on for a second. The sun is coming. coming. Sunday is coming. You just hold on. You just hold on. It may look like we're losing right now as the blood of our brothers and sisters have been spilled upon the soil of this planet for the faithful testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as our brothers and sisters even now in this moment are spending time imprisoned, as our brothers and sisters all over the globe even now are worshiping under the threat of government restrictions and radical Islamists and all of these other things that come against the body of Christ. But I'm telling you right now, This earth belongs to our God. And you can't kill us and stop us. This gospel will continue to spread. And our resurrected Lord will continue to do his work until at the appointed time he makes his personal return to this planet. And he will judge his enemies he will receive his people and he will restore creation in glory and righteousness. And even if you kill me, you still didn't end me because to be absent from this body is to be in his presence. That is the message of the gospel. That our God is alive. When Jesus was on that cross, he said, It is finished. But he didn't say, I'm done. And I'm telling you, our Lord is still moving. He's still acting. He's still saving. He's still rescuing. He is still building his church. Saints, we ought to be about his business. We ought to be about his business in the earth. May we be found loving without hypocrisy and faithfully discharging our duties. May we be found provoking one another to good works. May our Lord find us Boldly advocating for righteousness and justice. May he find us humbly submitting to his lordship. We must work because our Lord is working. Our savior and God is alive. He's alive. And he rules. And he reigns.